Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and Merry Christmas to everyone. I hope you're at home in front of a fire with loved ones listening to Crypto 101. And on this episode, we have on Bitcoin Evangelist, host of the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, one of my go-to podcasts, Mr. Trace Mayer. Trace has been in the game for a long time, so we're going to get a one-on-one on Trace and learn from experience because he's been around since Bitcoin was pennies and he's seen everything before. We're also going to learn about what is this January 3rd proof of keys that everybody's posting on crypto Twitter. But before we get into this conversation, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can find our Facebook page link. Go to our Facebook page. We have an amazing contest where you can win a couple Ledger Nano S's, a XYO Geo Mining Kit, some great swag, and of course, a copy of Crypto 101's Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency. Again, join our Facebook community, follow the instructions, enter the contest, and win some Christmas cheer. And just a reminder, this show is not financial advice or legal advice, and definitely not personal advice. Now, without further ado, here's Mr. Trace Mayer. Trace Mayer, host of Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, Bitcoin Evangelist, Crypto Evangelist, Blog Writer, Investor, and the founder of Proof of Keys. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. <laughs> oh, glad to be here. I want to just tell everybody like how I know you first. When I got into the space, there's a couple podcasts that I listened to, and one of my go-tos was always the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. To be perfectly honest, it was a little bit higher level for me just starting out, but I really loved your conversation. So, sir, thank you very much for making that podcast for as long as you have been. Oh, yeah. Glad glad to do it. You know, the, the start for that, it was like... I, I bet people would like to hear conversations I have, like when I'm having drinks or something. So I just started recording uh, interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin space. So that is why it's, you know, it's definitely not 101 stuff, uh, but it it's incredibly fun. And especially over the years, and I've tried to structure the interviews so that they're they're relatively timeless. So people can go back and listen through the archives and hopefully get a lot out of it. And I'm glad it made a difference and, and glad that you've got your own show too. You know, there's just so much opportunity for education and transferring human knowledge and capital in this space. And especially with all the new coins and all this stuff, I mean, there's just so much opportunity. So, you know, thanks for getting in the, in the ring and, you know, playing. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. You know, it's it's a hard ring to jump into. You get your knocks and you lose a little bit of money and get a you know uppercut every once in a while. But I kept on getting up. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, gnar- gnarly battle scars. Everybody who's been <laughs> in this space has got them. Trust well, me. <laughs> I think there's a lot of blood bleeding out of me right now. So. Uh... <laughs> Trace, I just want to go into, uh, there's a lot of aspects of your life in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and digital assets, and also a lot of things that maybe people don't know much about, like maybe your your background, your history, your origin story. So if we can just start off with uh, Trace 101. Trace, tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, your education, and how you got into cryptocurrency in general. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been around the virtual currency space since like middle school, like literally, you know, I was playing online games. They had silver coins that the monsters would drop. Uh, I'd sell those for dollars. And so, you know, growing up in that day and age with things like Napster and BitTorrent and PGP encryption and the crypto wars, you know, these Supreme Court cases, which had to do with cryptography and, and holding it up as freedom of speech. You know, I'm, I'm like little 12, 13, 14 year old kid when all this is happening and then high school. And it's, it's just totally fascinating to me. And, and I'm playing around with stuff like Eagle. And so I studied accounting, studied law, and so when I ran into Bitcoin on the internet, I was just like, holy cow, this, this is going to be huge. You know, and I also had a background in Austrian school of economics, uh, self-taught, you know, because they don't teach that in university. Because if you want to learn the truth about money or economics, you have to learn it on your own, which is one of the reasons I did my podcast was, you know, how do we educate people on sound money and hard money principles? And so that's how I kind of came into Bitcoin. And then from there, it was just, getting involved and doing stuff. You know, it was a nickel quarter. I start publicly talking about it. I was like, what niche do I want to go after? And I was like, oh, well, the gold bugs, because they understand hard money, but they didn't understand the internet, <laughs> which kind of a lot of them, fortunately, they've come over over the years, right? But then also the libertarians. But I got a lot of resistance from the older libertarians also, people like Lou Rockwell or Tom Woods or whatnot. But, you know, we still brought in a lot of libertarians, brought in a lot of gold bugs. Part of my thinking was like, you know, if we're going to transfer a lot of wealth, 
you know, in this fiat money system that's debt based, like if we're going to transfer those treasures of darkness to people, who do I want to have all the, all that wealth? And it's like, well, I want the libertarians and the gold bugs to have it because they understand the philosophy and the ideology that that undergirds sound money. And they understand that this isn't just about like making a quick buck. It's an essential check and balance in the political machinery, this right to money and holding your own keys to your own money, like having monetary sovereignty. And so for me, that's very much a core purpose behind, you know, why I've gotten involved in this and why I've talked about it publicly. You know, I'd venture to say that that if I didn't have so much blood from the founding fathers, like flowing in my veins, I probably wouldn't be, you know, in the battlefield in the in the ring, like talking about it publicly. Uh, but you know, it's we we all got to do what we got to do, and so I definitely do kind of see myself uh, in that sort of a vein. For me, it's not about just making a quick buck. Like I'm here for the long term. I'm here about taking territory of monetary sovereignty. I'm here about distributing the keys of wealth to people who hone in on that beacon. Can we just touch on what a couple of things that you said in that for a little bit? You said, and this is something I just, I'm totally ignorant about, you just said it right now, crypto wars, SCOTUS cases. What is that? This is pretty fun. So Peter Todd, he's a Bitcoin developer, Bitcoin core developer, and there's an email exchange between him and Dr. Adam Back, and Peter's about my age. So, you know, Peter sent Dr. Back an email, like, back in the mid-90s. That's how long, I mean, this, this crypto community's like been around the block together, mm-hmm. right? And what was happening is Adam Back, as a political protest, like printed out some Perl code that was an encryption on a t-shirt. And because it was illegal to export cryptography under the Munitions Act. And so then, you know, some of the source code got printed out in a book. And then that got challenged under the First Amendment freedom of speech and went to the U.S. Supreme Court, who protected cryptography as freedom of speech. So, I mean, this is like a big deal, you know, because now the holy grail of cryptography for the cypherpunks is being able to transfer value over the communications channel is the money. And that's what we've discovered with Bitcoin is kind of this holy grail of digital rights because mm-hmm. we've got digital rights against search and seizure, stuff like PGP encryption. But then what are the monetary rights in the Constitution? It's sound money with no, nothing but gold and silver being legal tender. But like, what does that look like in the new digital age? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it looks like Bitcoin is what it looks like, hmm. you know. And so, so we're, you know, people like Dr. Back, you know, he's kind of like George Washington out there, you know, and then, <laughs> and then you got the rest of the founding fathers and we're laying down the constitution of the digital age, you know, and like, what rights are we going to have and what rights are we as individuals going to enforce? You know, are we, we just going to let other people hold our keys when we could take those keys ourselves and declare our own monetary sovereignty? We, we don't have to go out and fight like the founding fathers did. We can fight with our math. We can just take the keys to our, into our own wallets. You know, so, so this is a different type of revolution, but it's just as important. And, and if you want to have your rights, you're going to have to claim them. And if you don't, you're going to get wrecked. You know, look at Mt. Gox. Look at BTCE. Look at, I mean, we got countless examples of, you know, where people have had their, their Bitcoins confiscated or stolen because they weren't securing them properly or they were holding them with third parties. And so this is a big deal because, it, you know, otherwise, hey, we, we, know, we know the saying, he who has the gold makes the rules. I well, think we're th- moving into a different era with new sound money. I think that you're going to be going into proof of keys, but we're going to get in there really soon uh, and a little bit later in the conversation. But you said monetary sovereignty. What does that mean to you? And I'm asking this question because a lot of people, a lot of writers, a lot of journalists um, with air quotations here say (laughs) that that means you're trying to evade taxes. But what does that really mean and what does it mean to you? Well, you need to have something that's limited in amount, so you can't have it confiscated through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation or without due process of law. It needs to be censorship resistant, meaning that you can interact with it. It can't be seized, can't be confiscated, can't be stolen. You know, these are these are kind of our two major prongs. We've got limited in amountness, sound sound money or hard money, and then censorship resistance. Because what happens when when they start shutting off your freedom of speech because uh, you, you're involved in certain type of political talk. Maybe you're, you're conservative. Maybe you're liberal. Maybe you're WikiLeaks. Maybe you're a porn shop. Like, whatever it is, do you have freedom of speech or not? 
And in order to, to act out your freedom of speech and to actually talk, you need to have money, you know, in order to pay for different services, hosting services or, right. or whatever. So, you know, the right to money, the, the, this monetary sovereignty, it's what enables us to stand independent. And it enables us to, to then exercise so many of our other rights. So, you know, that's, that's what I'd kind of talk about when I'm talking about monetary sovereignty is the right to the money vesting with the individual or what you use as money. Can it just be created out of thin air as much as whoever has the right to do that wants? And can it just be shut off with the flick of a switch and no due process of law like Operation Choke Point? Like if, it, if that can happen, like you can just be shut out of the system with no due process. You know, and how do you hire an attorney when, when you have the, the light turned off on, on all of your money? Right. You know, you can't even defend yourself. Like, look right. at civil forfeiture, you know, where they, where they seize the property and you have to prove that you acquired it some legal way. You know, if, if they can't seize it in the first place, like, we gotta, we, we've taken some territory. Right, right. I think that we understand your ideology about money, about where, why you're into Bitcoin. But I want to go into a little bit about what you did with Bitcoin and how you worked for the past, let's just say, as, as long as... Since Bitcoin was a nickel or 25 cents, you have invested in Kraken and Armory, if I'm correct. You, are, uh -huh. have, a, you have a podcast. You have blogs. Uh, you're, you're a figure in the space. Can you just tell us about that evolution of Trace from the 25 cent Bitcoin up to now? When did you start investing? How did you start investing and why? Yeah, so my general thesis, which has been different from a lot of the other venture capitalists or angel investors, is I want to hold the coin itself you know, as opposed to be invested in companies. So, you know, like Barry Silbert's invested in hundred companies or whatever. I'm only invested in three and one of them's, you know, actually become defunct and become just an open source project, Armory. So when, when we first had the Bitcoin core software, one is that you kind of had to have it on a computer that was connected to the internet. And two is that when you went to back up your wallet, it would only back up a hundred private keys. You know, that's a problem because if you're using it, like you, you might, not have a backup anymore, right? If you've gone through those hundred keys. And so I wanted one, I wanted software that would be totally offline, you know, so that it's way harder to hack, you know, so cold storage. So we, we innovated the whole concept of cold storage for Bitcoin with Armory using the little USB sticks and then also doing full network consensus and then hierarchical deterministic wallets. That's where we can back up a seed phrase and then derive, you know, a million Bitcoin keys from that seed. So we innovated that too, you know, so that, that came out of just a need. Because if you're going to hold Bitcoin, you need to do it securely. Otherwise, you're going to get wrecked, like Mt. Gox or something else. So, you know, that was why I funded uh, Armory, was because I wanted those types of tools built. And who else is going to build them, right? And then it was also a gift to the Bitcoin community as a whole, so everybody else could claim their monetary sovereignty. And then, you know, what's, what's also in that first network effect of speculation, you need an exchange. So that's why I funded Kraken. And then you go from speculation to merchants, to consumers, to security, to developers, to financialization of world reserve settlement currency. Well, that second network effect merchants, uh, that's why I funded BitPay, you know, cause they do merchant processing. And otherwise I haven't been super active in funding companies because I want them to have a good business model. I want like good entrepreneurs, but then I want them to fit into like the timing of how these network effects are unfolding. So that's been a little bit of my strategy and my difference uh, between how I've approached it and how some of the other, you know, like Tim Draper or Barry Silbert or Dan Moorhead at Pantera, how those guys have approached it or Andreessen Horowitz or Fred Wilson, et cetera. You keep saying hold your keys, and I'm, I'm gonna even though it's a little bit further on the down the list, we're gonna talk about proof of keys. January third, this is a date. Proof of keys. What is that, and why is it important? Yeah, so I made a website to help explain a lot of it. Proofofkeys.com, and why it's important. Well, first, what we're doing, it's like a combat readiness drill. You know, if you if you never actually practice, and then you get into a live firefight, and you've never practiced, and you've never drilled. Like your adrenaline could get crazy or whatever, right? Like, let's go through the process. Let's drill this. And let's do it every year on January 3rd. Why January 3rd? Because that's when the Bitcoin network went live from Satoshi. 
so that's its birthday. You know, it's a great time to declare and redeclare your monetary sovereignty, kind of like what we do with July 4th in the, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very simple. If you've got Bitcoins on any third party service, you know, whether it's an exchange or a gambling website or like whatever, just withdraw all the Bitcoin to a wallet that you control. Hmm. So where you have the private keys and also, very importantly, where you perform the network consensus. So, you know, these are two big prongs. And it's very easy. Just go get Bitcoin Core software and download it and sync the blockchain. And, you know, January 3rd, like go go withdraw all your keys and you can send them back, you know, but I think it's very illuminating to actually do it. Because once you've done it, then if something crazy happens and you need to get the coins or something off of different services, you've you've done it. You know, you've done that preparation. You've 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 done the drill. You understand how it's done. And if we do it as a community every year, it it keeps those skills sharp and it helps the new people who are coming into the space get educated on how to do this stuff. You know, because a lot of people might not even know that it's important to do this. And so it can become a very good, I think, cultural tradition for the community and not just the Bitcoin community, but all the coins. You own some Dogecoin, download a Dogecoin full node and and get those Dogecoins, get get those Monero, get the Dash, get the Litecoin, get the Ether. You know, just pull all those keys off of any third parties and bring them back to your your own jurisdiction where you have the monetary sovereignty. Third party entities might react to what was called a run on the banks. Well, hey, if it's your Bitcoin and you say send it to this address and they say no, you've just learned a very important piece of information, haven't you? Because, you know, that that's what this is. This is proof of keys. Mm-hmm. This is it's it's going to be approved in the blockchain. And if that transaction doesn't get submitted, you just learned that they're not giving you your Bitcoin. Has that you know, happened so before? Mount Gox. Right, Gox, of course. <laughs> I, yes. mean, I mean, we, we've got we, over a million Bitcoins have been lost with exchanges. And that's just exchanges. That's mm-hmm. not a lot of other third parties where they've been stolen or whatever. I mean, this is one out of 17 Bitcoins. You know, I mean, this is this is a huge amount of casualties right. that Bitcoiners have have suffered because they haven't respected the keys and they haven't respected the network consensus. So, I mean, this is a clear and present danger to everybody. And the thing is, is that security, a lot of people don't take it seriously until it's the only thing that matters. You know, and when Bitcoin can go, Bitcoin can it's very volatile. It can go up a lot really fast. And, you know. One thing you'll find if you actually go and try to take these keys into your own possession, you'll get hit with withdrawal limits and verification limits and this and that. All these excuses, blah, 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 on why they won't give you your own money. And remember, the limits don't get imposed until there's a problem. Like, look at Greece. You could withdraw a thousand bucks out of the ATM, but as soon as everybody wanted their cash, they lowered that limit to 50 euros a day. Right. I, this is part of Hotel California, you know? And so just find out whether you can get your money or not. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's very simple. Send the Bitcoin to that address. And they either send it or they don't. And if they don't send it, oh boy, like you, you just learned something very important out of that. Now, let's just say these third parties start imposing restrictions, limits, or just don't send the Bitcoin. What should the average consumer do if they find that out? I mean, first, like this helps generate confidence and trust if they perform according to the contract, which would be giving you your money when you ask for it. So if they're not going to perform according to the contract, you've encountered an area called performance risk. Now, one of my friends, he had 50 Bitcoins on Coinbase and he was doing his taxes and everything and he couldn't get his bank accounts to reconcile and all of that stuff. And he found out that the 50 Bitcoins he had in Coinbase, somehow it had just totally disappeared in their database. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, he had the ACH debit out of his bank account, but like no Bitcoins. And maybe there was 
some error in the database or, I mean, who knows what, right? But his 50 Bitcoins totally disappeared. And so he had to talk to customer service and then they were like, oh, well, we'll reverse the, the $12,000 ACH. And he's like, no, I mean, the Bitcoins have gone up to $60,000 now. You're giving me the 50 Bitcoins. And they're like, no, we'll, get, we'll do the 12,000. And he was like, Ben, you're going to talk to my attorney because I'm going to sue you. Because right. that's what you do when people steal your money. You know, well, one is you don't trust untrustworthy institutions. But then if somebody who you thought was trustworthy steals your money, well, now you have to become an unsecured creditor and you got to sue them. You know, so this this helps like figure out who's trustworthy because they prove it in the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he, you know, eventually Coinbase gave him the 50 bitcoins and then he promptly withdrew him out of Coinbase to mm -hmm. his own wallet, you know, where he had control of it. But I think what that highlights is people might have sent Bitcoins to all different types of services, like to gambling website or, or whatever, and they might have forgotten that they had sent Bitcoins to these places, and it might only be a little bit, like $5 or $50 or something. But you know, if on an annual basis you're going around and cleaning up all these, all these Bitcoins that are in the couch cushions, you know, that can make a big difference if Bitcoin goes up a significant amount. I mean, this is also just good Bitcoin hygiene and good cryptocurrency hygiene in general to you, constantly be cleaning up that that dust. You, you said, and, and, and I have to clarify this because I don't want you to be misquoted or misspoke or, or what have you, but in the same sentence you put Coinbase and untrusty institutions. Do you think Coinbase is an untrustworthy institution? I think the burden of proof is on the institution. So I would ask, why should you trust Coinbase or any of these exchanges for that matter? Are they regulated? Have they been audited? Do they provide a proof of reserves? Have they signed messages with private keys showing that they have Bitcoins under their control? What are their assets and liabilities? What are the assets owned by customers? Like, show us the proof, right? Like, where, where are the audited financial statements? Like, why should you trust these institutions? I mean, this is stuff that we take for granted with exchanges like CME, where we're trading gold and silver and oil, but nobody in the Bitcoin industry is performing to that type of a standard. And also, whether somebody should trust an institution or not, I think that that's a scale that is up to each individual. You know, you might trust an institution with $50, but you wouldn't trust them with $5 million. Right. <laughs> and right. so depending on how much you're going to trust an institution with, you know, I think that goes into the calculation on the, the burden of proof that you want that institution to meet before you trust them. So, you know, and that, and that's, a, that's going to be different for each individual. You know, in my case, I am, I am extremely skeptical and I don't, I don't want to trust at all. I want to verify. And so mm. I just, you know, I have a very, very, very high standard or burden that institutions have to meet before I'm going to trust them with a significant amount of my money. I mean, I just, I don't trust banks. I don't trust Bitcoin exchanges. Like, I don't trade on Bitcoin exchanges. I hodl, you know? I mean, that's just <laughs> kind of my modus operandi. Uh, but, you know, everybody's different, you know? And, I mean, not to pick on Coinbase. I mean, they're one of the larger actors in the institution. But it reminds me of when Roger Ver was asked whether he trusted Mt. Gox. And he's like, oh, I flew to Japan and looked at their bank account statements. You know, like, seriously? That, like, that's your burden of proof? And, and what happened to people that either relied on Roger or relied on Mt. Gox? Mm. They got wrecked so hard. So hard. Like 850,000 Bitcoins or something <laughs> like that. I mean, I mean they, they got wrecked so hard. <laughs> And, and so, you know, when, when you ask me, like, what's a trusted institution, I would basically say, like, uh, none of them. Like, I don't trust any of them <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, and that's part of being in the Wild West and part of the reason why we have these really high returns. But you have to take it seriously. And keeping $25 million of altcoins on some exchange like Michael Turpin did, mm -hmm. I mean, really? Like, and you're going to blame it on AT&T? Like, when you could have taken those keys into your own possession, you know, there, there, there is a line where, where we have to have personal responsibility and that, and that, and security and convenience, there's always kind of a trade-off there. And so, you know, people just have to figure out like, what are they comfortable in terms of trusting? And I'll tell you what, during the bear markets, this is a perfect time 
for these companies to be burning money on salaries and payrolls, Mm -hmm. and then customer deposits get very... Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Ufi video lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Ufi video lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Ufi video lock. That's E-U-F-Y video lock or visit ufeofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y video lock. Ufee video lock. Get complete control over your front door. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. tempting to dip into <laughs> so, so that you don't go bankrupt or yep. so that you don't have to lay off staff right yep and then it becomes like a drug and they can't get off of it and then when the price starts to run they're now short a significant amount of bitcoin like wh- why even give them the opportunity at all to mm-hmm. do that why take that risk that performance risk when you don't have to And now a word from our sponsor, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and crypto, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Robinhood sent me a link and told me to sign up to try it, and I was impressed by no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. But Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, trade stock and crypto, and keep all of your profits. The design is clean, easy to understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. I'm the kind of guy that learns by doing. Custom notifications allows you to monitor the market so you never miss a price movement so you can continue to learn on your own. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Just by signing up at crypto101.robinhood.com. That's crypto101, C-R-Y-P-T-O, 101.robinhood.com. Now, back to the show. Speaking of risk, you said a couple things in this, and I want to touch on them and then go into this bear market. You said that Bitcoin is volatile. I think we all know that. Uh, You said that... It can go up really fast. We've seen it, you know, around December. It went from whatever all the way up to 19,000, almost hitting 20,000. And now we're back sitting around. I don't even know what we're at today. I didn't want to look. But <laughs> we're, we're around three, five to four. I have no clue. Somewhere around there. And 
you said I hodl. Well, you know what? I hodl too. And I'm hodling a bunch of he- heavy, bloody bags from ICOs <laughs> to all coins to Litecoin to all kinds of things. You've seen this before. You've been in the space for a long time. You've seen bear markets and you've seen blood on the streets. What can you tell the listeners about this blood that we're seeing now? Well, Pre- Preston from the Investors Podcast, he, he made a whole website about the mayor multiple. Uh, there's mayormultiple.com, mayormultiple.info. And what that is is you take the current price divided by the 2 to 100-day moving average, and it gives you a relative price. And we're currently at like 0.52, which 98% of the time it's higher. And when it hit 19000 or whatever, it was like 3.7. So you know that is when Bitcoin was expensive, and now is when Bitcoin's cheap. But you can apply that ratio, that mayor multiple, to any of the altcoins or ICOs or whatever, and you can start to look at standard deviations, and you can be like, "Oh, now's a cheap. Now, now it looks like it's relatively cheap." Assuming you like the fundamental analysis, you know, a lot of these ICOs, they're just no fundamentals there at all. So, I mean, like, I, I mean, I wouldn't hodl those. But if you if you buy the fundamental analysis, like maybe maybe it's gold or Bitcoin or Apple shares or something. If you buy the fundamentals, then you can look at that mayor multiple to perhaps time a little bit better the either buying it or selling it when it's cheap or expensive relative to other assets. So that's that's how I kind of look at this. But, you know, also there should be a certain portion of your net worth or your portfolio that you will never sell ever. And that part is your hodler of last resort portion of your portfolio. And that you can look at that like your total rainy day fund or something. And you should always try to be increasing that too. You know, you make some profits in Dash or whatever ICO, you know, take some of those profits, sock a little bit away into your hodl of last resort with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you know, and then like continue playing with the rest of the house money or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to like trading and, uh, and ICOs and all this stuff. It's just I look at it like how can I acquire more Bitcoins because those are strictly limited in amount and I buy their fundamental thesis with World Reserve Settlement Currency. Right. And so that's the one I want to hodl into, you know, so I if I make gains on Apple stock or Amazon or whatever, like I'm going to reallocate some of that into my hodl stock of Bitcoin. So you're bullish so in the how, future. That's how that's how I kind of play it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think humanity is going to get extincted anytime soon. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I, so, mean, bull, I mean, bullish in the fu- future of Bitcoin. <laughs> well, well, I think that I think that humanity's future is tied to Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin is now the hardest, soundest money that this planet's ever seen. I mean, this isn't just like a once in a lifetime. This is a once in a species opportunity, you know, because we've now created triple entry bookkeeping with distributed consensus. I mean, this is the hardest, strictest money ever. When we switched from silver to gold and China and India were the last to do it, they lost 78 percent of their national wealth in that transfer. Whoever adopts the hardest, soundest money first you know, they're the ones who are going to benefit from that technological revolution that happens in money. And, you know, the world's rethinking what money is. It's either the dollar, it's either gold, or maybe it's this Bitcoin thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it'll be something else. But I don't see anything else anywhere close to the network effects that Bitcoin has. And so I'm going to hodl that one until something better comes along, which I doubt will happen, because the network effects are just so difficult to displace. A lot of people talk about the 2017 pump, the Bitcoin highs from a, different, a lot of different aspects. Some people say it was the USDT being just falsifying volume on different exchanges and raising the price. Some say it was ICOs and the whole ICO hype that made Ethereum a price that it's just not even realistic. Some say it was the halving and every halving of Bitcoin. You're going to see this huge spike until the miners recalibrate of what's their bottom line and some people say that it was you know just ransomware on different you know companies or fortune 500s or governments and saying you better pay us in bitcoin so therefore it created that volume do you think that any of those are the case well i, th- I think they're all contributing factors but it, at the end of the day it's subjective value theory that's going on in between millions of people's heads right and animal spirits and chase it's like a dog on lsd i mean like the bitcoin (laughs) price i mean it is just like crazy like look at san francisco there were 850 people in san francisco 
gold got discovered and it's now one of the great cities of the world, minus all the poop on the streets. You know, they get that cleaned up. It'll be so awesome. Wait, where's so, the poop from? Homeless people or dogs? Oh, yeah. Homeless people oh. and dogs. I mean, it's a it's a real mess. Like I was just there because there's there's a lot that happens there. But I mean, San Francisco is a city that's entirely built on speculation from, you know, when gold got discovered there. So never underestimate gold fever. And I use that broadly in the sense of never underestimate just the speculation and how much that can impact human feelings and thinking and all of that stuff. And I mean, Bitcoin and, and, and this cryptocurrency markets have just brought so much of that just you know, people are having to learn how to control their emotions and their and get disciplined, <laughs> or they're going to get wrecked. You know, getting margin called or or whatever. I mean, because it's really you know you you have to you have to have control of yourself uh, in order to really do well with money. Money is just kind of an outward representation often of what's happening in your internal self. What do you think the space these days? You've seen the space evolve over the years. You've seen it go from smaller communities to, you know, you have the OGs in the game. You have new guys like myself in the game. What do you think of the quality of the space, the overall space in 2018 going into 2019? Oh, I've never been happier. The amount of human capital that has been coming into the cryptocurrency space, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, coming into all of them has just been amazing like a year ago on our on our otc desk or over the counter desk at kraken we had one guy you know and then he hired an assistant who had like four years of work experience right we now have nine people on the otc desk almost all of them have 20 plus years on wall street as professional traders at major institutions wow one of them one of them is he was head of global capital markets at new york stock exchange you know i mean this is serious human capital that has come into the space in the last year. And, you know, if, if anything, I would bet on humanity. When, when humanity, like, really sets its mind to work on something, tremendous things happen. Like, we go to the moon, as JFK says, right? And so we've now crossed that hurdle, or, you know, we've crossed the Rubicon in that sense, and we've brought in and we're bringing in human capital on a huge scale. Uh, you know, our Kraken OTC desk is an example. We've got Backed, Eris Exchange, LedgerX, Fidelity, NASDAQ. Everybody's coming to play in this pond. And it's it's so tiny right now. There's $90 trillion of fiat currency out there. And there's a $67 billion market cap on Bitcoin. <laughs> and guess what? Bitcoin's the only stuff truly limited in amount on mm -hmm. this planet, right? So, I mean, it only really has one way to go. And that's up relative to all this fiat currency. It, so it's just a matter of time. And we're only a decade into this. I mean, I, I got a multi-decade plan or vision for how this stuff is going to play out. So, I mean, day trading this and getting whipsawed around by your emotions, you know, you're just going to get wrecked if, if you let that happen. Who do you respect in the crypto space? You've been around for a long time. I and one thing I've talked to people about that's been got in safe in 2016, saw the pump, and now we're sitting here now is that that perception for towards different influencers has changed or evolved or and morphed over that time. Who is it in the space that you think was consistent through the whole time you've been hanging out? Well, I definitely have been. I mean, I've called every major bull run in advance publicly. You know, I, I wrote an article, The Rise of the Great Fourth Bitcoin Bull. Bitcoin was 388 bucks. I published the article December of 2015. Then, then in June, I said, you know, Bitcoin might run to $3,000. This mm -hmm. is when it had just barely broken, I think, like 1200 bucks, its previous all-time high. I guess I understated it a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's usually what I tend to do. But, you know, we've had lots of people who have had very consistent voices over the years. Andreas Antonopoulos, Greg Maxwell, Peter Woola, Adam Back. You know, that we, like, at the end of the day, this is a technological innovation, too. You know, so the price, the price is secondary to making sure that the technology is sound and being developed properly, in my opinion. And we, we have all the time in the world to... to to do the math and the computer science right, you know, and to, and to do the game theory and everything. We don't need to rush anything. You know, we, we're hodlers of last resort. We have equity-based assets that can't be seized, that are limited in amount. 
what do we have to fear? They don't have anything to fear. It's the burning platforms of the rubles and the Venezuelan boulevards and the U.S. dollars. That that's what you have to fear. Mm-hmm. You know, another 2007, 2008. You know, right. having 87 trillion dollars more debt than we did in 2007. That's something you have to fear. Mm-hmm. You know, another credit crisis, and and we don't have interest rates to bring down. You know, so quantitative tightening that they're trying to do. You know, another major nasty 2007, 2008 is what we have to fear. You know, Bitcoin's a solution to that type of stuff because it's nobody's liability and it's strictly limited in amount. Size 50 foot trying to get into a size five shoe, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) I asked the questions about uh, influencers or people that you respect in this space because Crypto 101 is positioned itself to be maybe the first stop for a lot of people coming into this space. And I think the more they listen to the show, the more they hear the same names coming up. They'd hear Andreas Antonopoulos. They're going to hear Trace Mayer. They're going to hear different people. And they're going to go, hey, I'm going to follow them. He's trustworthy because of consensus. And now with consensus with positive influences in the space, there also needs to be a consensus of negative influences in the space. <laughs> Do you have anybody that you would say, hey, 101 guy, maybe you want to take what they're saying with a grain of salt? I mean, I have a hard enough time listening to the people I respect, let alone like <laughs> listening to listening to the ones that I don't. I mean, they get muted real quick, um, which, which Pierre Richard and Michael Goldstein over at the Noted podcast, they wrote about this, how they have a filter bubble or a Bitcoin bubble. And so they're they're very quick to mute people on Twitter. You know, I'm not quite as quick to mute people on Twitter because maybe someone just had a bad morning or something. But I think it's very important to be extremely cautious because there's so much noise out there that honing in on the signal, uh, you know, be very cautious about who you actually let into your mind to influence it. That's a very important thing. You need to guard your mind as well as you guard your private keys, in my opinion. What projects are you looking at right now that you think are game changers coming into 2019? Of course, Bitcoin is always there. It's hanging out. It's it's the king. It's the daddy. It's chilling. <laughs> it's yeah, chilling. It's, just... it's not going anywhere. But what, what are some other things on Trace's radar? With Bitcoin, of course, there's things like Lightning Network and Mimblewimble and Grin and stuff. But I, I got some CMIX in an airdrop. You know, it has like a one and a half million dollar market cap. I mean, this thing's on nobody's radar. I think it's kind of interesting. You know, that that looks kind of fun. Dash, I interviewed Evan Duffield on Bitcoin Knowledge when Dash was like three dollars, you know, I mean, way back in the day. Uh, So Dash has always been interesting to me. Of course, like understanding how to properly and securely like claim airdrops is all and and forks is is always on my radar because that's like free money right but then once you get the forks or whatever it's like oh well maybe you don't want to sell all of it so that's why you know i've kind of stayed around with cmix because i've been looking at some of the stuff they've been doing and i'm like oh that looks like it there's some interesting things happening there so you know you don't want to get chasing off in the weeds and spending all your time like out in the weeds and unproductive stuff. But I do think it's good to keep your eyes out and be looking at different projects. So I'd say those are the ones I'm kind of looking at. And just for the listeners, Dash is now at $64 at the time of this recording. So it's went a long way from $3. Yeah, well, it went all the way to like 1500 So, I mean, Dash yeah, is like totally, totally imploded since the uh, the big bubble of 2017. But, hey, that's kind of what happens. But I like I like the Masternode aspect because that's an innovation when it comes to the cash flow statement with these cryptocurrencies you know so i kind of i think that's an interesting interesting innovation you know which is because to me the cash flow statement in accounting is like the most important one and dash innovated on that so you know when i go to look at like these different projects i want to look at projects where there's actually been innovation made and then i want to see how it plays out in a real world environment with money at risk you know and game theory and all of this stuff and Dash has stayed around, you know, so it looks like an interesting innovation and, and it's the, proving itself. And for the listeners of Crypto 101, if you want to know more about Masternodes, we do have a Masternodes 101. We have Ryan Taylor also doing a 101 on Dash and Ricardo Spangi of Monero also has a Monero 101 on the podcast. So we'll check those out in our backlog. Crypto 101 has the SEO to be the first place somebody might be coming to when they're getting into this space, they might go crypto 101, this is this podcast and figure out the space, figure, figure out these different ideas, these ideologies, these terms, these people in the space, investments or coins or what have you. 
if this was the first podcast somebody new getting into the space was listening to, what would Trace say to them? Figure out what private keys are and how to secure them. <laughs> like that's where the rubber meets the road in this industry. Like everybody wants your money. And so you got to figure out a way to protect those Satoshis. I mean, those things are incredibly, incredibly precious. And, you know, don't trust anybody, you know, don't trust verify, you know, so educate yourself, gain the human capital and figure out what those private keys are and how to secure them. That that would be my kind of number one recommendation for people. On your podcast, a reoccurring theme is to run a full node. That You said that that's a responsibility that everybody that has Bitcoin should do is run a full node. Is that something else that a new person should be looking into as well? Yeah, why not? You know, like jump right into the deep end. It, it's not <laughs> difficult. You know, it'd take maybe 15 minutes, go to Bitcoin.org, download the software, sync it. It might take a few days, figure out how to enable coin control. I mean, this is all like homework that you can be doing, especially during a bear market. You know, it's it's when we stop learning and stop progressing that, you know, we get overtaken by something else. Yeah, so I, I would say, you know, just just try to figure figure this stuff out, you know, ha- and have fun learning and ask questions and and listen and everything. But don't don't let analysis paralysis like keep you from getting stuff done and don't procrastinate figuring out how to hold your own private keys. I mean, that's so important. I mean, I've I've got multiple friends in this space who otherwise would be worth $10 million plus today, but they lost their Bitcoins because they weren't securing their private keys properly. You know, so it's one thing to make the right decision, and it's another thing to actually implement the decision correctly. Mm -hmm. They made the right decision. They bought the Bitcoin. They didn't take my advice and figure out how to secure their Bitcoins with Armory. And so their blockchain.info wallet or, or they had their coins on Mt. Gox or whatever, and poof, it's gone. They made the right decision. They implemented it the wrong way. They got totally wrecked. And the saddest words of tongue and pen are those that might have been. Mm. You know, what, what, one of my friends, he, he, he'd have, you know, about $8 million on Mt. Gox at today's prices. He's been on unemployment for the last 18 months in a severe depression. Mm. This is the real deal. You know, it's not like he didn't have the opportunity to be a multimillionaire. Oh, no, it was right there. He just didn't take the keys to himself and secure his monetary sovereignty. Mm-hmm. He trusted somebody that shouldn't have been trusted, and he got wrecked. And now his personal life is a complete disaster, and he's in deep depression. And, I mean, what do you tell somebody? Like, oh, you know, it'll get better. Like, you'll have another opportunity. <laughs> you know, you, no, you might not have another opportunity. That might have been your your shot. So figure out how to get those private keys and secure them. That's so important. Well, if your friend does listen to this podcast, a shout out to him. And I'm really sorry about uh, everything that happened. Before I ask this last question, Trace, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an honor to get to know you, talk to you, hear your thoughts, and get to, well, yeah, just get to know you a little bit. And before I ask this last question, I want to know if you have any statements for the audience before we go oh i mean trace mayer host of bitcoin knowledge podcast uh, www.bitcoin.kn you can follow me on twitter with at trace mayer and i mean just my general thoughts is you know try to hone in on signal avoid noise and i'd like to thank you just for doing something in the space for helping educate people in in this area i mean this is this is a very complex area and there's so much going on and so many changes and everything like you know, at least you're putting something out there. At least you're doing something, you know, and, and that's really the invitation that Bitcoin has to all of us is, hey, do something, you know, <laughs> whether it's it's take take control of your own private keys, buy the Bitcoin, getting educated, like do something, you know, don't just sit there and become obsoleted, mm-hmm. you know, like eight, eight track tapes aren't coming back, right. like newspapers, like you don't want to own one of those. So, I mean, you need to be at the forefront of all of this innovation and technology and, and you got to just get in there and do something, you know, and sure, you might not do it perfectly the first time. You might get some gnarly battle wound, like losing money on, uh, like my buddy that lost, he and his wife, they lost over $10 million at t- current value on blockchain.info. Guess who's now the most paranoid Bitcoin user I know? 
<laughs> you know, he, he's got back on the horse mm-hmm. and he's bought lots of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's remade his life instead of crawling into a cave like my other friend who's in the deep depression. Right. You know, get back on the horse. We have so much opportunity. You know, you get a gnarly battle wound, like just a minor flesh wound, <laughs> like, like it'll get better, you know, and, and go out there and earn some money and, and work your job and save your money and, and treat those Satoshis really preciously and secure your own monetary sovereignty. You know, that, that kind of be the, the crux of all my advice, like live the life that you want, you know, and that, and that means you have to take personal responsibility into, in order to create it the way you want it. Trace, thank you very much for that. And thank you very much for, again, coming on this show. And the last question I always ask everybody that comes on the show, just to get to know you a little bit deeper, what three songs <laughs> would you like to put on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist? Oh, you got to put Hoddle Gang on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like Ode to Satoshi. And uh, there's Gift of Satoshi. Laura Sager's her If I Had 10,000 Bitcoins. Oh, man, mm. now we've got four of them, right? Everything has changed by Naomi Brockwell. I mean, that's that's a classic. Bitcoin Bob, I love that one. That one's so funny. Um, you know, that that's the thing. Like, we we have so so much creativity coming out of this space. I mean, we got a lot of wonderful musicians. You know, there's six of them. I gave you gave you twice as many as you asked. That's for. all right because some people don't give me three, so I'm gonna put them all <laughs> on there anyway. Trace, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again some other time, sir. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, anytime. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Trace, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a great conversation and it was very nice to meet you. Remember to head over to Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron on YouTube for behind the scenes commentary and my opinions on the conversation. In our next episode of Crypto 101, we're going to talk about climate change in the blockchain. Not only are we going to go over the 101s of what climate change is, what's happening to our environment, the laws, the regulations, but we're also going to see if blockchain has a tool to help combat climate change. I'm very looking forward to everyone hearing that conversation. And like always, before we go, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news. And I want to say thank you very much to Mr. Harry Foster for editing this episode. We'll see you in the next episode of Crypto 101. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.